lots of people walking around in combat gear, all camouflaged and booted and spurred for a fight with a red Santa Claus hat on. Welcome to the podcast where we track down Australian war veterans, have a chat with them and hear their stories. I'm Alex Lloyd and this is Life on the Line. The only thing I was scared of was failing, with letting down the people there that I was supposed to support. Things went south really bad. You've got to have an element of crazy to be good at what we do. There was an ego attached to being a bad shot. Being around big, tall trees, thick shrubbery, potentially connecting to other moments in his life during battles. His story of transformation is powerful. I'm Angus Horden, and you're listening to Life on the Line. This episode is our annual holiday season special with veterans and other guests from season four sharing their stories of a Christmas in uniform. All of today's clips are brand new stories. These stories are a mix of highs and lows. Some enjoyed their unique Christmas abroad. Some found it, though, quite forgettable. And some would rather have been at home with their families. Yet, all answered the call made the sacrifice and did what was required of them. This is Christmas on the Line. Glenn Azar was away from his young family when he was deployed to Timor as a medic. This is his Christmas story as told to Alex Lloyd. When you are in Timor, Glenn, your daughters are three and two years old. How has it been away from your young family over Christmas? That was really tough. There's two tough periods, I guess, through that is uh, Christmas, definitely. The whole idea of being away from your family is hard. And had you had known you were going to be away for a special occasion, cool. You can kind of, even before you go away, prep yourself for that. I'm not saying it's easy, but you could prep yourself. But then when you're away for something like Christmas and you get all these great messages back from, you know, they send all these video messages back through the media and stuff, which are really cool, by the way. Like that means so much more to soldiers than civilians would ever know but still you're not with your family. And we weren't getting regular phone calls. Like we could make phone calls on these satellite phones, you know, every four or six weeks when you're back near a headquarters. So it wasn't like, hey, it's Christmas. Everyone get on the video conference and Zoom your family and say g'day. It wasn't that back then. So, and by then I'd set up an email address and the email was all satellite email. It was so slow that you might in your half hour block get two emails, get to read two emails and maybe send one. And that would be every six weeks. So yeah, it was hard. It makes you think about those times even more. But having said that, every day kind of blended into every day. So Christmas isn't a special day in that environment. The only special day I can truly remember being on that deployment was Remembrance Day. That really hit me because we're on a deployment. We're in all the gear. We're doing our job. And we're standing to remember the people who've done that job before us. And that was, like, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it now even. It still evokes that emotion in me to say, well, we were doing our job on that day and soldiers before us have done that job. And it kind of gave us that eerie connection, you know, and even, this will sound cheesy, but songs like I was only 19 and talking about the Vietnam era I remember listening to that while I was out there and it really hit home that's kind of that's us that's what you know it's not the same scale necessarily but it's the same thing that we're experiencing at this moment and I remember those as being some pretty special moments there's no doubt being away from your family's hard anyway but soldiers well in my experience we're kind of built for that we're kind of we're more used to that than normal people because that's what we signed up for and it's 
trained into us that that is the possibility of what's going to happen. doesn't mean it's easy, but it's definitely something you have to deal with. The impact of being away over special days like Christmas is felt by the families as well. Glenn's daughter, Alyssa, remembers some of her childhood Christmases when Glenn wasn't around due to his army service. Do you recall ever having a Christmas at home when your father, Glenn, was away due to his military service? In terms of Christmas, I do remember there were a few times where my dad was away, whether it was on a deployment or it was on courses and different sort of things. So there were definitely times where he wasn't home and certainly... You know, I always respected what my parents did and we understood that. But um, yeah, that was challenging sometimes. I know when I was particularly young, I didn't have a lot of extended family, only really immediate family. So we were quite a, a small family, but, you know, really close. So it was definitely challenging to have, yeah, someone close to you away. But um, we also knew what he was doing and, and definitely respected it. Adrian Humphreys was a signaller, first with the Australian Army and later the 2nd Commando Regiment. He told me about his first Christmas away from home in the Solomon Islands. Did it overlap, for example, over a Christmas period or something? It did, yeah. Late November we went, late March we came back. And that would have been a different Christmas for you, huh? Yeah, a different Christmas. I was on shift, I know that much. I remember being in the Comsen. John Howard had come over and we had photos taken with him. He brought beer with him. So Do you remember the beer? No, because I was on shift. I just remember people getting drunk. But I was a diligent little sig on shift with nothing going on, probably watching a DVD. Former SAS officers Ben Pronk and Tim Curtis both had Christmas stories to share. The first story in the next clip is from Ben's time in the regular army before he joined the SAS. And the second story is Tim's after he left the regiment. Ben and Tim, do either of you have a Christmas in uniform story to share? Yeah, one that springs to my mind, East Timor in 1999. It was my very first deployment. I was a young lieutenant platoon commander of reconnaissance sniper platoon in, in Tuaria. And we'd gone in on um, D-Day, which seemed at the time to be so impressive. I thought it was very cool being part of a D-Day. I think it was a couple of months earlier. And yeah, Christmas rolled around and we had this big sort of battalion Christmas. And I, I remember there was a what we used to call a castle, a, a fortress in Balabo. And we dragged the whole battalion, everyone that could get in from the, the border outposts. And there were sort of APCs and helicopter crews. And it was the whole battalion group in there. I remember the, the CO at the time addressing, you know, giving Christmas wishes and sort of a tear coming to his eye. And I thought that was a bit strange as, you know, whatever I was at 22-year-old punk. But yeah, I, I recognise in hindsight that it must have been a pretty moving moment for him being in charge of all these people, first big-scale operation since Vietnam, essentially responsible for their lives, although it, it turned out to be a relatively benign operation. But the other thing which was a really nice touch was that the Forex Brewery had sent up a whole bunch of beer the old military phrase, two cans per man, per day, perhaps. Well, we, we actually did get our two cans. So Christmas, we had two cans. And on the bottom of these cans of Forex beer, where they normally print goodness knows what barcodes and use by dates and that sort of stuff, the factory had printed all these range of individual messages in that electronic sort of type on the bottom of these cans of beers, you know, Merry Christmas diggers, good on you, mate, all, all this sort of stuff, which was really heartfelt, a great touch. And Tim, you had quite the international career after your time as a squadron commander. Were you often having Christmases away from home, away from Australia, in the Middle East or other areas overseas? I think I had 10 Christmases away from Australia and I have to say I missed every single Christmas back at home. It wasn't until I came back that I truly appreciate the value of you know really close friends and family being around you at that important time. I really missed it. 
actually as a postscript to my Christmas story, this was 1999 and <laughs> I wonder how many of your listeners will remember the, the Y2K paranoia that was sort of kicking in. But I remember. You yeah. remember, you're old enough. Anyway, I found myself, I was on picket in East Timor on 31st of December at midnight and we sort of sat there with bated breath waiting for goodness knows what satellites to fall out of the sky or our radios to stop working or, or whatever. But all we got was a bit of gunfire in the air across the border and life went on. So a bit of an anticlimax. Tony Park deployed to Afghanistan in 2002 as a public affairs officer. He got home just in time for Christmas. Did you make it home in time for Christmas? I did just in time for Christmas, which was surreal, bizarre. Coming home from being on the tarmac at Bagram at minus eight degrees, thinking oh, I just can't wait to get out of this place. And then not long after being at my, my mum's place at, at Mudgy, stinking hot again, 45 degrees Celsius. Like the start of your Afghanistan tour. <laughs> 20 kilos lighter than when I'd left. One of the benefits of appalling food and no alcohol, <laughs> I must say, there is, there is a benefit to it. With this skinny white body that hadn't seen sun for now quite some time, lying by a pool, wondering where my pistol was. Wondering why I was back with my wife, which was fantastic. To reconnect with people and all of these things in your life that you didn't know how much you missed and you didn't know how much you appreciate. And it's just such an overwhelming relief to be home. I'm sure everyone would have the same experience. And then you sit down and you're thinking, but what's Mal up to, you know? What's Scotty up to and what are they, are they okay? So yeah, almost as soon as the relief, the initial relief is over, is those thoughts of what else could I do? What else could I have done? Right or wrong, that is what the ADF engenders in people. How else can I serve? What else can I do to help my mate? or these people, or do the job. Crystal Callender was pregnant with her second child when her husband, Garth, went to Afghanistan. This was his third deployment to the Middle East. You and Eva have a Christmas without Garth back in 2009 when he's deployed to Afghanistan. Eva and I moved back to the Gold Coast when Garth went away because we were living in Canberra at that time. I'm a beach person, so I knew I didn't want to have to stay in Canberra. And his deployment was a long one. It was nine months minimum. Could have been up to a year. So I definitely thought I would take the opportunity to move closer to family. And I came back to the Gold Coast where my parents are. So I had their help. I was pregnant with Zoe, our second one, when Garth was away. And very heavily pregnant that Christmas. So I think I did a lot of laying on the couch. <laughs> and having my parents help out with Eva. Meanwhile, her husband Garth Callender was too focused on the job to really enjoy Christmas. Garth, in all your military postings abroad, do you remember any particular Christmas deployments? I was in Afghanistan in 2009. So I was there running a weapons intelligence team doing post-blast assessment and compiling information and analysing intelligence on the IED threats. And we were there from mid-2009 through to 2010, so over the Christmas break there, yeah. And did anything particular strike you on Christmas Day? Honestly, I was a bit of a Scrooge. And I, I wonder, I think back and wonder how my teammates felt about the whole thing, because... Well, to put it in perspective, we'd, we'd had, we're well and truly into winter, so the insurgent activity had calmed right down. We weren't getting as many bomb blasts, we weren't going out to as many sites, so it was a real opportunity for us to get stuck into the report writing, so doing that reverse engineering, that this backlog of, of components that we had to try and understand what the insurgents were using against our guys, bombs which were, you know, killing a lot of civilians. So honestly, 
I was taking this this little bit of a downturn in our own activity because we, we did slow a little bit over the Christmas break, but also a downturn in the insurgent activity to get into the lab, write a lot of reports, do a lot of work. So I actually have very little recollections of Christmas itself because we're sort of heads into our computer screens or in the lab. So yeah, it was probably a completely inconsequential event to be happening during the work we were doing. Army Intelligence Officer Sarah Watson made the most of her Christmas on deployment. How was your Christmas in 2006 in war-torn Iraq? The battle group had a get-together or a couple of really funny blokes in our battle group who, you know, emceed a little bit of an occasion where we sort of had a bit of a feed together and a near beer or two. We marked the occasion, however, obviously it was quite different and uh, I had received a few parcels from Australia with some lollies and chocolates and things, which is lovely and um, memories not serving me well, but I have a couple of pictures of wearing a Santa hat and things like that. Yeah, we celebrated Christmas in a country that doesn't recognise Christmas as best we could and it was a nice thing to do. Ian Roberts, a submariner from the Cold War era, did not enjoy being away from home on Christmas Day. Ian, did you actually end up spending any Christmases on board? I spent one on board, yes. It was like any other day. Didn't seem like Christmas, of course. No, we were in Hong Kong, so we just had to put up with it. So you certainly would have had shore leave, though, I mean, if you'd tied up alongside. So it would have been enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> I would sooner have been with my family. <laughs> yeah, no, well said, well said. John Cantwell was the Major General in command of all Australian forces in the Middle East in 2010. He told me about the Christmas he had with his troops at the end of a very tough year. So, John, you would have been in Afghanistan for Christmas in 2010. Can you recall that time? I recall it very well. It was a bit of a, um, a, bit of a melancholy time for many people, particularly for those who had young families at home, really felt the absence at that time, I guess, more than any other day. But it was also just another day. It was, you know, just another day in the war. And so there were combat operations going on on Christmas Day, as there has been on Christmas Days down the years in many, many other wars and conflicts. So naturally, we didn't relax on that day. But we did make whatever provisions we could to make it a little bit special. The logistics system, the supply system really stepped up because we were able to put on Christmas lunch for almost everyone, wherever they were. Sometimes it was better than others. In some places, if you were back in some of the major bases, there was a pretty damn good lunch with all the trimmings. Less so in the forward operating bases, but nonetheless, we made special provision. We played a bit of cricket. Lots of people walking around in combat gear, all camouflaged and booted and spurred for a fight with a red Santa Claus hat on, which was uh, an enduring image in my mind. I did get around to visit as many people as I could. So I started very early before dawn, uh, me and my little party, my little command party, and we travelled to as many parts of Afghanistan because I focused my efforts in Afghanistan on that day. And we got around to a whole bunch of places. So I got to see a whole lot of people. I, know I shared a few hugs with some young folks who were missing their kids uh, and got a bit teary at times and also gave them the usual general's pep talk. But I thought it was a really, uh, a really special day. We all felt our remoteness from home, I think, particularly at that time. And so it just made it a, a slightly more keen experience of the separation. And, of course, the very next day, back to business. So it was a passing day, but uh, it's interesting to see how those special days pass when one's in a combat zone. Adrian Humphreys had another Christmas in uniform, this time in Afghanistan with the 2nd Commando Regiment. 
I had a Christmas in 2007. Yeah, white Christmas. Mate, that place is cold. It was like a maximum of minus two and the sun was out and everything. Yeah, I've never sort of endured cold like that before. Well, I had, so, to, had so, to live in so it. So you didn't get John Howard to visit you that time? No, we lost out, Johnny. We got Kevin Rudd instead. Yeah, he came in. It was what it was. So what, you saw him at Christmas time? Well, that, that's quite funny. I mean, you've had two Christmases abroad serving the nation and you've had two separate prime ministers consecutively visit you. Yeah. Angus Houston was the consistent one, actually, probably out of all of them. I met him and John Howard. Oh, no, I met John Howard twice. Sorry. Met him in the Solomons. And then he came up to the camp at uh, Pakistan in 2005 with Angus Houston. Dan Kieran, VC, came back on the podcast this year to share some new stories and talk about his book, Courage Under Fire. He told Alex a new, rather cheeky Christmas story from 2001. Last season, Dan, you told me about a Christmas you had in Timor. But as you write about in your autobiography, Courage Under Fire, out now where all good books are found, you also had a Christmas while you were deployed to Malaysia. Can you tell me about those shenanigans in 2001? <laughs> oh, jeez. You've gone through, you've read all this, and I'm like, oh, jeez, what did I tell you now? What's in the book? What's been cut? What hasn't been cut? <laughs> What did I get up to in Malaysia that I that I can talk to you, uh, you about and the listeners and people won't judge me? That's a tough one. The, the judging aspect of what, what we got up to, you know, that was my first Christmas away from family, realistically, I think, you know, up until that point. And it was surrounded by uh, blokes that are similar in age and we... Uh, I don't know where to go with Let's this. Let's just say you're in a colourful venue in Thailand. You popped <laughs> off with some R&R. Yeah, look, I'll say it. Why not? Why, why not? So we ended up in a whorehouse in, uh, in Thailand. It was there for a, a vent. So we had a function room downstairs in this, this whorehouse that we ended up having a Christmas dinner with. So <laughs> not your normal Christmas, put it that way. No, but then you actually have quite a sharp pivot after that Christmas because you, by the time you returned to Australia, it must have been the very end of December that year. Australia had obviously gone to war in the recent wake of 9-11, but they weren't sending an infantry battalion. The government was just sending the Special Air Service, a squadron of SASR to Afghanistan to help with the hunt for bin Laden. But you're coming home and hearing that news and at the time you had been kind of waiting, are we going to get deployed? What's going to happen? You're having first Christmas away from home, rather colourful setting. And then at the same time, the country's gearing up for war. And although you're not involved in that initial push, you still might be thinking, well, we'll see where this might take me. I don't know. That was everyone was on the the forefront of everyone's minds at that point in time. I, I was in Malaysia and I, I remember everyone being glued to the TVs and, you know, continually seeing the footage as, as most people have seen of those planes continue to fly into the World Trade Center and issued live ammunition. You know, we we're on foreign soil. You know, there's all of these thoughts and conversations going on around me going, you know, this is serious. This means, this potentially means that Australian forces are going to get deployed. There was a bit of an excitement. I'd only been in defence at that point in time for coming up to the two-year mark or a year and a bit. So it was, it was the first sort of point in time where I'm like, well, here we go. This is what I've been training for. This is what I want to do. Let's get the job done. You know, it took ages before getting deployed to Iraq finally anyway, and then later Afghanistan. So it was a long process of a lot of training in between before actually seeing any action or getting deployed. But it was at that point in time, I do remember the conversations very clearly and the excitement of this is what we've trained to do. Yeah, finally, we're going to get to do what, what we've all signed up for and what we've dreamed to do. Navy clearance diver Bill Fitzgerald enjoyed bringing both his real family and his Navy family together to celebrate Christmas. And in that time, do you remember having any memorable Christmases abroad? When I was on deployment, I used to be on deployment. I couldn't get back home quick enough. Or any memorable Christmases at home? Oh, yeah. Plenty of them. With the Navy? Oh, yeah. I used to take the kids down to the Christmas parties and... We used to have a lot of stuff in Rush but that's when the uh, TAS school was there. 
talk about our anti-submarine school. In one of our partner episodes this year, Thomas Kay spoke with Renee Wilson. Renee shared with Tom a memorable Christmas that she had with her husband Gary in 2010. This Christmas was six months after Gary's Afghanistan deployment when he was severely injured in a helicopter crash. Let's jump back to 2010 Christmas Day. So you've had Gary home after such a close call. I'm guessing this was a very special and memorable Christmas for the whole family. Yeah, it was. We had his mum and dad come down. We had Christmas at home. We normally would travel to Queensland for Christmas, but um, we didn't this year, obviously. It was almost a bit surreal to be able to sort of sit there with him on Christmas Day. And I was excited because it was the first time I was ever going to host a Christmas. I loved to cook and to entertain people and to, to make stuff. So I did all that and I just nailed making a lemon meringue pie a couple of weeks prior. So I was super stoked that this was going to be the dessert. It's going to be great. We invited a couple of the guys who weren't actually going home for Christmas that year to come and have Christmas with us too. So it was quite a special day. And our friend, the medic, he wasn't going home. So he'd come over for Christmas and like, I'm making lemon meringue pie for dessert. It's going to be great. He's like, I'm so excited. And for me, it was, he's like, I love that. I'm like, oh, good. This is how I say thank you. So I was super stoked, nailed the meringue. Everything was perfect. We cut into the pie and the like lemon curd was just runny as hell. And I just was, I couldn't believe it. I felt so terrible. It was not cool. So that's my memory of that Christmas was stuffing up the pie for the person that saved my husband's life. But at least all of you were together. (laughs) We were together. We were together. It's a thought that counts. And if that was the least of my problems that day, that's perfectly okay with me. David McCourt was captain of HMAS Canimbla in the Arabian Gulf over Christmas in 2001. It was a tense operational deployment, but his crew still found ways to celebrate the day. So David, it's your first deployment in the Gulf and you would have only been there a couple of months and then Christmas time would have rolled around. I think we've been there for maybe two months and then Christmas was upon us and we had a, uh, we had a special visit from the Chief of Navy and the Warren Officer Navy who came to the Middle East to, um, to see us and they actually um, spent Christmas on board Canimbla up in the Northern Arabian Gulf. I'm trying to imagine the atmosphere at this point though because I've spoken with other Navy captains before in serving in different periods to the one we're talking about now and relax the beer issue, relax a bit enjoy the atmosphere, still on duty, still sensible, but a nice sense of joviality too. But there were still months after 9-11 and everything's very tense up where you are in that 01 to 02 Christmas. What was the atmosphere like on the ship? Well, you're right. It was very tense. And as you said, Alex, we hadn't been there for a particularly long period. It's fair to say that we were, I think we were quite comfortable in the sense that we, we, we were starting to understand the environment. We understood what our mission was and, and we were cracking on with it. Quite right. Unlike previous times when things like a beer issue might have been relaxed, we were still really quite uh, in the Arabian Gulf. We were as, as far north as you could be without basically entering the internal waters of Iraq or Iran. Um, we were constantly uh, in contact, particularly with Iranian forces who came out and harassed us, not every day, but routinely. And as a consequence, we were still in a heightened state of alert. We weren't able to um, have a beer issue. But uh, on the other hand, we were all very aware that, that Christmas was upon us. And as I said, we did have the, the guests uh, in the form of Chief of Navy and Warrosa Navy. And the troops had asked uh, if they could have do something to mark Christmas. 
And so the sales and soldiers uh, took it upon themselves to set up a, uh, a Christmas Eve concert, which was a lot of fun. Decorated the stage with kind of Christmassy colours and whatever. A bunch of the, of the sailors formed their own choir. They rewrote uh, Jingle Bells, I guess, to suit the fact that we're on a deployment and uh, we were stuck in the Arabian Gulf and we should have been home with our families. And it was really funny. It was very irreverent. And, uh, and when they sang it, I'll never forget, they, uh, the Chief of the Navy was sitting right up front and they were singing it uh, pretty much at him or to him. And uh, when they got to the, the main point of talking about sitting in the Gulf in a rusty LPA, they kind of shouted it right at him. And uh, it was a very funny moment. I mean, he, he enjoyed it uh, as well because it was a quite a reverent, funny song. Army veteran Tim Reynolds had a great Christmas on deployment, singing the night away. So, Tim, how long is your deployment? Does it overlap with you being away from your family during Christmas? Yes, it did. The deployment was six months in total. There's a workup period you go through in Australia. That was an adequate time. But in the middle, as you said, it was Christmas. And I think that was one of the best Christmas events that I had in my life. Becky Cole, Angry Anderson, and the comedian Limo and a girl called Bessie Bardot came over to entertain the troops. And they flew across to that Amathana task group to put on a show for them. They all decided to jump in a helicopter and just do a quick trip over to where we were. It was a hundred kilometres away and entertain our small group of eight, uh, plus all the British guys that were with us too. And we also had a, a, other multinational people with us uh, from all around the world, which was great. After the show, their, their helicopter broke down. There was a storm event, sandstorm, and they got stuck for the night. So... I have fantastic memory where I play a bit of a guitar and I had a guitar with me and I started playing a song called Flashjack from Gunda Guy and I had Becky Cole and Angry Anderson as my backup singers, which was terrific. I will admit Becky took over playing a guitar and singing a much better singer than me easily and uh, halfway through the song. The night went on and we had a really great time. It was a great Christmas and care packs came across from Australia and also from Britain as well. So we were subject to this multinational sort of Christmas. It couldn't have been better. Second Commando Regiment veteran and martial artist Paul Cale had a Christmas with Canadian Special Forces in his 2007 Afghanistan deployment. Did you have a Christmas while in Afghanistan? Yes. Yes, I did. Was it a memorable day or just another day? It was a memorable day. It was a good Christmas. We punched over to Gracelands, went to the Canadian Special Forces Centre in uh, Kandahar. Yeah, had a great time there and found out how much Canadians love uh, ice rinks and uh, ice hockey. Their TVs do nothing but ice hockey. So if you're not into ice hockey, don't bother watching Canadian television on their military bases. I think we actually had the Christmas in Kandahar, at the base at Kandahar, before we went to Gracelands. And then we ended up in Gracelands because I remember a Christmas tree and I remember being given our two beers per man, per day, perhaps. And we ended up somewhere else and we got another two cans of beer per man, per day. So we are fairly lucky we had to move around a little bit and we're brought into the mix. So it was a good Christmas and it was just, we're on deployment, you know. Was, I, I knew that this experience was something to remember. SAS veteran Bob Hunter will be the season four finale. His podcast is out next week, number 101. Bob was in Bougainville for Christmas in 1997, towards the end of his military career. Did you ever have a Christmas on deployment or in uniform? Christmas on deployment? Yes. So my last uh, serving job was a uh, Christmas on Bougainville and this was a dry operation. 
So I believe we had some ice cream and that was the highlight. But again, you know, it, it brought home to me because we didn't have, this is 19, late 1997, Christmas transitioning into 1998. So we didn't have a lot of communication. So I couldn't connect easily or quickly with Nicole. There wasn't any internet. That's all part of that last military experience that said, all right, what, what is really important to me and what part do I want to play in this as I move forward with, you know, what is really important to me, family, being very privileged in that respect. Of course, our forces are meant to be dry when on operation, but I've always heard the stories of, oh, well, Christmas, we're allowed one or two cans of VB, and I feel that's absolutely devastating. You only were given ice cream on Christmas Day, not even, you know, a can. My mind might be playing tricks on me, but that's what I seem to recall. <laughs> Look, again, it was also about the environment we were in, strong cultural sensitivities and a simple aspect of leadership, model what you expect and set a standard, particularly if you want to retain that trust word amongst the community. I think that was, uh, you know, an important part to it. You're right, we all like a Victor Bravo, straight out of uh, the Vietnam movies. How good. More of that music in just a moment. That was Christmas on the Line, Volume 3, 2020. Be sure to listen to the individual episodes from earlier this year. All details are in the episode description and on our website. In 2018, Season 2, Alex Lloyd hosted the first of these specials, Christmas on the Line. It was freezing cold, it was snowing, and we were in a bunker, so it was all, had all those ingredients of Christmas. And in 2019, Season 3, Sharon Maskell-Dare hosted Christmas on the Line, Volume 2. But it's a one of a kind. You can't replicate that here. For as bad as it sounds, I do enjoy a little bit of Christmas here, but I enjoyed the Christmas over there more because it was different. You can't do that anywhere else. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Life on the Line Podcast and on Twitter at L-O-T-L Pod. Our website is www.lifeonthelinepodcast.com. And if you like this episode, please rate us five stars in Apple Podcasts. Life on the Line is brought to you by Thistle Productions. Artwork by Big Cat Design. Theme music by Dan Van Workoven. Closing music, Seven Brothers by SAS original rock band, The Externals. I'm Angus Horton, and on behalf of the team, we wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening. Sure we can prove